0: Listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. The last Sunday, just to kind of give you a little bit of a catch-me-up. Last Sunday, we broke into the dusty book of the Old Testament known as Lamentations. For many of you, I'm, I'm sure that when you broke open that book, maybe even the spine of your Bible cracked a little bit as you say, I don't spend a lot of time in Lamentations. It's okay. Don't feel bad. I don't spend a lot of time in Lamentations either. It's a very depressing book. But I think it's a very helpful little book of poems for us, especially in this time of, would you agree, great sadness and pressure in the world that we're living in, a lot of emotion going on in our world, a lot of, a lot of grief, a lot of pressure, a lot of burden. And so this little book of Lamentations, I believe, will be a help to us not only during this season of just trying to figure out what in the world is going on and how, God, do you want me to respond as a result of everything that I see around me, not only in this time, but I think what this little book of Lamentations will do is to give us a strategy For all of the times that we come into the arena of sadness for a host of different reasons. Last week we, we just kind of, kind of introduced ourselves to the concept of lamenting. The concept of the burdens uh, that Jeremiah might have been feeling and how that we can resonate with those burdens. And last week we said that times of sadness, times of, of, of great difficulty provide an opportunity for us to see the world around us through the lens of God. If we will allow ourselves to see as God sees, it also provides an opportunity for us to approach God in the weakness of our brokenness, when we just don't seem to have any more strength in ourselves and we 're just at our wits and we 're at rock bottom, to use another cliche. We, we can approach God in that weakness, knowing that that 's how we enter in the greatest seasons of worship. When we come to him just on the face value of what we don't have in ourselves, we find him ready to meet us. We said that sadness and brokenness provides an opportunity to breathe deeply the air of God's presence. As we're, as we're grasping for something to hold on to, we not only find his strong hand, but we find his presence that can be so very uh, filling, if we will allow that to be so. It provides opportunity for us to walk closely with others who also are hurting and join in that time together, arm in arm, strengthening one another, encouraging one another. It provides an opportunity to unite as brothers and sisters around common grief. And then lastly, I've already alluded to it, it provides an opportunity to worship in a raw and unpolished Genuineness. We just sort of looked at the idea of lamenting and how that actually there is a healthiness for us in that lamenting if we will just simply focus ourselves on the one who will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. One of the, fa- one of the uh, worst things we can do is to put on a fake happy face in times of grief. We need to be honest, we need to be real, we need to be true. That's why Peter reminds us that we're to cast our cares on him. If we pretend there are no cares, then we have nothing for which to cast on him. But as we said last week, we want to look a little deeper, we want to dive a little bit deeper into the context of the book of Lamentations so that we can understand the basis of these five poems that we have here and we want to do that today. And in fact, the, the the title of our time together, the lesson that we'll share with you today is called consequential faithfulness. Who in the room believes that God is faithful? If you believe God is faithful, raise your hand. Very good. What we're calling today is consequential faithfulness. And hopefully that will begin to make a little bit more sense as we unravel some of the backdrop that is the book of Lamentations. So we said last week that the book was written somewhere around 586 B.C. When the people of Judah were taking their last of three deportations to the land of Babylon... And as the city was being destroyed by Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar, we said that Jeremiah likely wrote this book sometime in or just recently after these events. But in order to understand the backdrop of that scene that Jeremiah is lamenting about, we need to go back about 800 years if we can. So let's in our minds go backwards in Israel's history to a scene on the eastern side of the Jordan River as the people of Israel still being led by Moses are being encouraged and they're being instructed because they're just about to embark on their second opportunity to enter in the land that God had promised them. You, you'll recall if you've spent any time around Sunday school uh, in church at all, you'll recall that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and God delivered them from slavery and brought them into a land that had already been promised to their forefather Abraham. And God told Moses, now take the people across the river and take the land that I've promised. But the spies went across and spied out the lands. And y'all know the spies, ten were bad and two were good. You know, what did they see? Some saw giants big and strong, but some saw grapes with clusters long. Some saw God was in it all, but within the spies, ten were bad, two were good. The ten that were bad were telling the... Nathan, you're laughing. You've sung that song many times. The 10 that were bad told the people, we can't do it. Well, the bottom line was, we wasn't going to do it any time. God was always going to. But they came back and said, we'll never be able to accomplish this. Y'all ever thought that? You ever heard something in God's word and God says, go, and you go, God, I, I'll never be able to accomplish that. Well, of course you can't, but through his power and by his spirit, you most certainly can, or God's a liar. Is God a liar? Absolutely. Y'all weren't quick enough on that. No, God's not a liar. So anyway, I, I digress. we got a long way to go. Ten spies came back and said, we can't do it. The people listened to the ten bad spies. And God said, fine, if y'all don't think I can do this, because that's really what you're saying is, you're not saying you can't, you're saying I can't, fine. I'll let you wander around in the desert for about 40 years, till every one of y'all who's over 20 years of age just dies, and then your kids will have an opportunity to go into the land under the, 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 the remembrance of you old folks because of Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that were good, who believed God. do what he said he could do i'm gonna let y'all keep living so you can see the promised land but the rest of y'all over 20 years old which if you're over 20 years old raise your hand dead meat in the wilderness just letting you know so we all dine in the wilderness and our kids you go they'll never do it oh yes they did they absolutely did so imagine now 800 years from the book of lamentations moses is on the eastern side of the jordan river and he's with Joshua and Caleb, these two old dudes, and the rest of the nation is made up of everyone who was 20 years and younger 40 years ago. And Moses is basically going to spend the entire, what we call Deuteronomy, is the book we call out of the Pentateuch, the law of Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, finish number Deuteronomy. Okay, so in Deuteronomy, basically Moses is gonna preach this 30-plus chapter sermon to them. You think I go long? 30 plus chapters. Moses preaches this sermon that's called Deuteronomy. And it's reminding this second generation of Israel. It's reminding them of the same things their parents and grandparents knew. It's reminding them of all of the things that God has done through them over this past 40 years. And it's saying, now are you going to go or are you going to spit the bit like your parents did? And basically they're standing there going, Okay, yes, we understand, we remember, we've been digging graves for the last 40 years. Can you imagine how many graves, how many funerals that must have been for 40 years? Because there were, uh, base, best estimates, at least a couple million people out there in the desert, lots of holes out there with people in it that didn't believe God. And so, yes, we're ready to go. And Moses says, okay, then what I need to do is to remind you of the importance of, of continuing what you say you're going to do. And that's where we find Deuteronomy chapter number 28. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn... If you've got version, you want to follow along. If you've got the church app, you can follow ours along as well. Now, as we did last week in these Old Testament long passages that I'm going to read, I'm reading out of the New Living translations. That's not typically what I preach out of. But for these long passages, I like for the flow of the New Living to help us just get a, a good idea of the story in plain English. So that's what we're doing. Hope that's okay. All right, so that's what we're doing with Deuteronomy 28. God is going to promise to bless them if they obey. And God is going to promise to curse them if they disobey. Now, let me give you a little bit more information before we read. God made three major promises to Israel that we're going to call covenants, okay? Where God makes a specific promise to a specific individual or people. The first covenant he made to a specific individual by the name of Abraham, God told Abraham that he was going to use him to establish his people. He was going to build a great nation out of Abraham. The, the, the number of his people, the number of his descendants would look like the stars in the heavens. They would number the sands of the seashore. God using poetic language to say, Abraham, you're going to have a lot of kids, a lot of grandkids, a lot of great-grandkids. A lot of great, 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 great grandkids. I'm going to make a nation out of you. And not only that, I'm going to give you a land to live in. And that land is going to extend from here to there, and from here to there, and it's going to be yours. You don't have to buy it. I'm just going to give it to you. So I'm going to build you a nation. I'm going to give you land, and there's going to be one of your seed that's going to ultimately bless all the peoples. All of the peoples, all of the nations will be blessed by your seed, by your descendant. Now, class, come on. It couldn't be more of a meatball, softball pitch than who is that one seed that was going to bless from the the heritage of Abraham. Talk to me. Absolutely. Jesus was going to be the one. Okay, first covenant. And that covenant was spoken to Abraham, and then it was re-given to Isaac, Abraham's son, and it was re-given to Jacob, Isaac's son, who was going to have 12 children who were going to be the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. You still with me? All right, that's the first covenant. Second covenant came to an individual by the name of David David was of the son of Jesse, he was of the line of Judah, and God came to David and said, David, all of the things that I said to Abraham are going to come to pass. But not only that, you are a king after my own heart, okay? And I am approving of your kingship because of your devotion and your love for me. And I'm going to tell you that on top of everything that I've already promised, I'm going to have someone from your line on the throne forever and ever and ever. Now there's only one person who has ever been forever and now will continue to be forever and who was incidentally also from the lineage of David on his mama's side and his stepdaddy's side. Come on class, tell me who it is. King Jesus. first covenant, Abrahamic, then the Davidic, before the Davidic covenant, there was a third. That I put third because the first two were unconditional. They were God saying what he was going to do. Can God lie? No, he can't. Will God not do what he says he'll do? Of course he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Unconditional covenant to Abraham, unconditional covenant to David. And then there was this third covenant that was given to the people of Israel on the side of the mountain called Sinai. And you'll recall Moses, not uh, what was uh, the actor's name that come down the side, Charlton Heston, but the actual Moses came down from Mount Sinai with these couple of tablets. And when he came down, what did he find? He find the children of Israel worship idols already. And he throws the tablets down and says, I'm mad at y'all. God said, get back up here. We got some more writing to do. So he came back up to the top and God inscribed 10 more or t- two more tablets with 10 laws that are the 10 Commandments, and from that comes all of those laws that God had given to Israel that were not about God's, God's connection to them relationally, but about the, his connection to them, like in the terms of fellowship and blessing, and whether or not they were going to be able to, to do what God said to do. And so the law was given through Moses to the people, and God said in Deuteronomy, if you'll do what I say, I'll bless you. If you'll follow the laws, I'll bless you. If you will, when you break the laws and you will, if you'll just enact the sacrificial system that I've provided for you in repentance and in humility, I will cover your sins. I'll not hold those against you and will remain in fellowship. But if you turn your back on me, if you refuse to hear me, then I will curse you. Now let me give you some of Uh, Susie, I'm not going to read the whole passage, so don't worry about Deuteronomy. I I don't want to take up the time. Let me tell you some of the things that God said he would do for them if they would just simply obey. You can go back and read Deuteronomy 28. He says that that I'm going to bless you, your children, your crops, your offspring, your herds. They'll all be blessed. The fruit in your basket will be abundant. The breadboards will be blessed. And wherever you go and whatever you do, I'll bless you. God says I'll conquer your enemies. I'll guarantee a blessing on everything you do. Your storehouses will be plentiful. Uh, I will establish you as a holy people, meaning that you're set apart, and your neighbors will know that you belong to me, and they're going to leave you alone because they know who you belong to, because I'm going to separate you. I will give you prosperity, There's folks preaching prosperity, health, and wealth, and all that today. That's not New Testament. That was a promise to Israel if they would simply just obey his commands and remain faithful. He said, I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to cause your stuff to grow. I'm going to cause your businesses to flourish. I'm going to cause your houses to increase. You'll have way more kids than you ever imagined. That's going to be a good thing because they're going to help carry on your lineage. I will make you, I love what he says in verse number, 13 of chapter 28 the Lord will make you the head not the tail you know if you could be one of the two things of the dog would you rather be the head of the dog or the tail of the dog of course you'd rather be the head I like that imagery God says I'll put you up front you'll have the best view of me if you'll just be you must not turn from any of the commands I'm giving you today nor follow after other gods and worship them God did not say you cannot fail in one of these laws. Every one of them were going to fail in one of those laws because God's law reflected God's holiness. And none of us, none of them would ever be able to maintain the holiness of God because we are broken by, tell me class, sin. Because of sin, they could never keep He didn't say if you fail to keep. He says if you turn away. See, there's a difference in making a mistake and staging a rebellion. God says if you remain faithful to me, I'll bless you. But, now, in in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's 68 verses. How many verses? 68. 14 of them deal with the uh the blessings so how many does that leave for the cursings if we got 68 how many yeah we got a bunch left in the cursing side so you go well what's that about well here's here's the deal they were going into a pagan land and god knows the heart of sinful people and he wants to make very clear to them that they understand if they get into the land and they decide you know what we don't need God anymore. There's going to be some consequences. You starting to see it make more sense consequential faithfulness of God? Here's what he says. If you disobey, if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and don't obey the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, that's verse number 15. Verse number 16, "Your towns and your fields will be cursed, your fruit baskets and bread baskets will be cursed, the children, your children and your crop will be cursed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be cursed wherever you go, and whatever you do will be cursed." means you'll be doing this outside of God's favor and God is going to multiply that as a consequence to your disobedience. Now remember, This doesn't have anything to do with whether or not God had chosen Abraham and was going to give them a land and promise them a seed. That's on God, unconditional. Didn't have anything to do with whether or not one was going to come from the line of David and was going to be king forever and ever. That's on God. That's unconditional. This law thing was a conditional covenant. I'm going to tell you how to follow me as the people of God. If you will obey, I'll bless you. If you disobey, I'm going to have to take my belt off to you. I know we've all heard that before. But that's from a loving father. He goes on and he'll say that God will send curses and confusion and frustration. He'll send diseases. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. Verse number 32, Susie, let's look at that. God said, if you disobey me, you will watch as your sons and daughters are taken away as slaves. Your heart will break for them, but you won't be able to help them. A foreign nation for, uh, you have never heard about will eat the crops you work so hard to grow. You'll suffer under constant oppression and harsh treatment. Verse number 36 the Lord will exile you and your king to a nation unknown to you and to your ancestors. There in exile, you will worship gods of wood. And stone. Verse forty-nine. The Lord will bring a distant nation against you from the ends of the earth. It will swoop down on you like a vulture. It is a nation whose language you do not understand. A fierce and heartless nation that shows no respect for the old, no pity for the young. Its armies will devour your livestock and crops, and you will be destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine, olive, or uh, 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 new wine or olive oil. They will, uh, calves or lambs, and you will starve to death. They will attack your cities until all the fortified walls in your lands, the walls you trusted to protect you, are knocked down. They will attack all the towns in the land the Lord your God has given you. 800 years before Lamentation, God says, Do I have your attention? We're going into the land, right? All the people said, yes, sir, we're going into the land. Okay, I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to bless you with houses you didn't build, with cities you didn't construct, with crops you didn't plant, and with livestock you didn't raise. I'm taking you in, and you're going to be blessed. It's like you're sitting there drinking from a spring flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be incredible for you. And if you'll obey me, if your hearts will stay in tune with me, I'm going to bless you and nothing can stop it. But if you turn away from me, if you turn your hearts from me, then I'm going to bring all of these promises on you. And the people said, yes, sir. Are we on the same page? Yes, sir. Sir, now if you've read your Old Testament at all, if you've been to Bible school and Sunday school, you know good and well, they didn't barely get on the other side of the dry Jordan. Why was it dry? Because God pushed the waters back and left dry ground. Hey, that sounds a lot like what they did, told me about it in the Red Sea. It's exactly the same thing. Get across the thing so we can get to the land. They got across, they started conquering, and then they started bickering and arguing. And started fussing about where I'm going to stay and where you're going to stay and where your place is better than my place. And I don't understand why I got this spot. And then I'm going to raise a king, and we want somebody else. And no, I like this one better. I mean, it's almost immediately they begin to fuss and fight, and who was relegated to the last thing we're going to consult before making a decision. The God that gave them the land and their freedoms and the promises that they had. And they did this for 800 years. Now, sure, there was ebbs and flows in that. There were times when there were leaders within the people of Israel who followed after the, the heart of God, who loved him with all their heart and led the people in that way. Folks like David. For a little while, Solomon. Some of the time, folks like Josiah. Folks like Joash. Kings like Hezekiah. And then they had some real ringers who didn't want to listen to God at all and wanted to, to take to take the blessing of God's hand, but to give their worship to pagan idols made of stone and wood made out of precious metals. So for 800 years, God watched it. In fact, he didn't watch it for the full 800 years. And and 682 years after this scene on the side of the Jordan, The nation of Israel, I don't have time to tell. Boy, I want to tell you all about the history of Israel. I love that part of Scripture. It's just fun to me to see how they all work together. But can't do that today. So about Israel's third king, they had a squabble, and it was basically a civil war of words. And they said, we're not going with you. And they said, well, we're not going with you. Now, what does that sound a whole lot like what we're listening to today? But I digress. They said, we're going to go here, we're going to go there. They said, fine, we'll go make us a king. He said, fine, we will go make us a king. So 10 of the tribes of Jacob made up what is in the Old Testament often referred to as the nation of Israel. Israel I know confusing because they're all Israel but now there is okay so 10 tribes made up Israel and then the two southern tribes one of which was Judah the other was Benjamin and then there was like a half a tribe one of the others and they made up the nation of Judah now the nation of Judah had as its capital Jerusalem and the nation of Israel had as its capital Samaria So they did their thing as two nations. I wonder how many did not even know that there were two nations of Israel leading at the same time. The nations of Israel had 19 kings. You know how many of them were godly? None. Not one king in the nation of Israel followed after the things of God. The nation of Judah also had 19, I'm sorry, they had 20 rulers. These had 19 kings. These had 20 rulers, 19 kings and one queen. Out of their 20, anybody want to guess how many good kings or queen there was? Eight out of 20. So zero out of 19 Eight out of 20, those aren't good odds for the people that were 800 years ago on the other side of the river saying, yes, sir, we understand. So 682 years after they said, yes, sir, God sent the nation of Assyria to attack the people of Israel in the north. And they destroyed them and they took them away captive into Assyria. They replanted them all over their area and then they plucked a few of them and a few other foreigners and they put them together and replanted them in Samaria and these used to be Israelites now marrying these foreigners were now a mixed breed of people who were those known as in the New Testament class. The Samaritans, kind of Jewish, kind of Gentile, and no good for a full-blooded Jew. Okay. Then 118 years after that in the north, down in the south, you would think they would have seen what God did in the north. You would have think that they would have listened to their prophets. Folks like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Amos, uh, Habakkuk, you would think these people in the south would have seen what happened in the north. They would have recognized, wait a minute, in Deuteronomy, we made a promise, and God said, if you'll do this, I'll do this. If you don't do this, I'm going to do that. Looks like he did that. Was God faithful in the north? Yes, he was. Faithful with what? A big old whooping. And those people were taken. And you know what? Those people of the northern ten tribes have never returned. In fact, it would be virtually impossible for someone to track their lineage directly to any of those ten. Because God basically wiped them out. You would think these folks in the south would go, whoa. Whoa. God meant business. And you got guys like Isaiah going, yeah, God meant business. Y'all, let's fix this that we got going on down here. So what happened up there don't happen down here. Unfortunately, most of the kings said, "Ah, we don't care what you've got to say. We know that we're okay because we're down here in Jerusalem. And what is in Jerusalem that's very important to God? His temple. Well, you remember how in the old, in, 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 the days of old, them wandering around, they built the Ark of the Covenant. Them fools thought, hey, they had to do was walk out into battle with their good luck charm, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and that God would necessarily have to dance to their tune. Did he? Not one time. He's like, you guys are idiots. I, that, that box is nothing but wood and gold if it's not being blessed by me. And God even had the Philistines steal that thing. Anyway. They're thinking now, well, we got the temple, and so we're okay, everything's cool, we're in the city that's called by God's name, we got the temple that's called by God's name, we can pretty much do what we want to. 118 years later, guess who comes a-knocking? A gentleman by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, of the nation of Babylon, who incidentally had destroyed the armies of Assyria. So these Babylonians were some bad dudes. They had destroyed the ones who had wiped out the nation of Israel. Not only that, right after Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came knocking on Judah, and and I think God's giving them a little bit of mercy here. Right now in the time of Jeremiah, he comes a-knocking, and then he says, hold on, I'll be right back. I got to go take care of something else. And he goes down and he wipes out Egypt he basically takes care of Egypt so all of these great nations that had been around uh, the nation of Judah were now wiped out by who the fellow that was coming knocking and Israel Judah never thought never worried never did anything to listen to the prophets and the warnings and the scripture and when he had gotten done with Assyria and he had gotten done with Egypt he comes back and says so let's talk about uh, Judah what you guys got to offer. And one of the kings under the ministry of Jeremiah, his name was Jehoiakim. He was the son of Israel, uh, Judah's last great king, Josiah. He goes, we'll do whatever you want. We'll give you whatever we got. Just don't kill us. Nebuchadnezzar says that'll work. So he took whatever he wanted. Incidentally, he took a bunch of folks, some of the best folks in that first deportation. Anybody wanna give us a, a thought about who he took that first time around? Oh, just some fellas by the name of Daniel and Azariah and Mishael, and I don't know what the other one's name is, but we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? So they went, and okay, cool, we're good. Nebuchadnezzar's gone. And then they started feeling puffed up and proud. It's 605 B.C. They're feeling pretty proud. They feel like, okay, all right, he's gone. You know, it's like when the bully walks around the corner and you get up and dust yourself off and you go, that's what I thought you didn't want none of that. And you know, so he's already around the corner and he comes around. Oh, no, we're good. I, hey, I was just dusting off. That's the way it was with Jehoiakim. He got a little proud. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, fine. So in 597 B.C., he comes back pushes them around a little bit, takes the king that was his son and just basically says, I'm taking you with me. His name was Joya Chin Takes him back to Babylon where he stays in prison for 30 years and he takes some more folks. Anybody want to have an idea about who went that second time? Oh, just a little scribe by the name of Ezra went down to Babylon, had some things to say, had some things to do while they were there in exile. Nebuchadnezzar says don't make me come back in fact I'm gonna set up a king that's gonna make sure uh, so I'm gonna set you and I'm gonna change your name your name's gonna be Zedekiah you're gonna be my king I don't don't care who you are you're gonna be my king you better keep these folks in line because when I come back next time it's over Zedekiah's like yes sir Nebuchadnezzar gets out of town we start acting up a little bit again We start feeling like maybe we don't have to abide. Jeremiah is saying things like, O king, in his book, in in the book of Jeremiah, O king, if you will just simply submit to the king of Babylon, you can live and so will the people. Don't rebel. Zedekiah the king's like, Who is this clown that keeps coming telling me stuff I don't want to hear? Has Jeremiah thrown in a pit? put in jail, because I don't want to hear what he's got to say. We're going to do what we want to do. And then in 586 B.C., guess who comes back really upset? Nebuchadnezzar. Seth, he didn't knock this time. He brought these machines that would come up to the side of the wall because they thought, all we got to do is lock the door. We're in God's city. we got God's temple. He's going to protect us. And Babylonians pushed those ramps up against the wall, climbed right up them and over it and killed everybody they could come into contact with. Started burning houses, started burning businesses, started knocking down the walls, and they said, would you look over there? What is that big building over there? And somebody says, that's the temple of their God. Well, let's go knock it down. And that's exactly what they did. Knocked down the temple of God, burnt down the houses of the people, broke down the gates and knocked down the walls and took everybody who was worth anything to Babylon back with them, leaving only the very old, the very sick, or those that had no physical ability. And oh, by the way, guess who they found in jail? Jeremiah. They said they wanted you in jail. They were trying to keep you shut up. Okay, we're going to let you out and go free. And Jeremiah watched as the city called by the name of God, as the temple that was the representation of of God's presence with his people. He watched as folks were being slaughtered in front of him. As people were being shackled and chained and stripped just for the fun of it. To walk a 700 mile journey to Babylon. I got a little app on my phone made by Nike. It tracks every mile that I walk. I want to say after a few years of walking about three miles, three times a week, somewhere in there, it finally went around 500. 500. 700-mile walk to Babylon where they would remain for 70 years. Now, I just want you to imagine if you were the one picked out when the Gestapo comes through the doors and they say, we're here to shut you down, and they begin to systematically kill Different ones that probably look the most fearful and think will bring about the most fear in you. They start with me. They gut me in front of you. And then they pick some of the mamas in here who are holding their children and they cut their throats and the child that they're holding. But they look at you and they say, you, get over here. And they hold you. So that you can watch and the sweaty, accent-laden people from this different country tell you to watch. Open your eyes and watch this. And then they begin to set the chairs on fire. They pull down the cross. They throw it around. They knock all the instruments around. They throw things in the TVs and break the speaker and start throwing things into the wall, big holes in the wall. Start letting fire on everything. And they shackle up some of you. They've wounded some of you, and they're just going to leave you to see if you can get out. And then as they're going out, they take you out, and they just throw you in the parking lot, and you watch as your brothers and sisters walk away. You say, Pascal, you got to be so graphic. That's what happened. That's what Jeremiah saw. So why does Lamentation speak so loudly? Because God was faithful to his promise to bring consequences for disobedience. Time is short. I don't have time to read our section in Lamentations 2 and 4. I'll encourage you, go home. Read Lamentations 2 and 4. Listen to the prophet weep as he watches these things that I've just described to you. Has he seen it happen and he's just agonized? Those are scenes in his mind that just won't go away. Because not only are they painful to see in real time, he knows good and well. It goes back 800 years to God saying, you obey me, I'll bless you. But if you curse me, I'm going to bring these consequences on you. Now, don't think that God is an angry God in one sense. We think about anger, think about road rage. What happens? Guy pulls in front of you, slows down, you get aggravated because you didn't give yourself enough time to get there in the first place, and now he's really going to make you late Been there. Okay, so now I'm mad and I'm angry, and then he does some foolish stuff, and what are you doing the whole time? You're starting to grip that steering wheel. And some folks let their emotion get away from them, and that's what's called road rage. That's an anger, but that's not what you're seeing here. What you're seeing here, think more about the courtroom. When the party is sitting before the judge, after mercy, after mercy, after mercy, intent on continuing his or her activity, and the judge looks at him or her and says, I have no other choice choice, but to sentence you to 25 years in prison, federal, with no chance of parole. And that one sits there crying, sad because of what is about to happen, but knowing full well the reason he or she is there is because of her own choices. Think judge. Judge in this respect but even more than that think about the father who's looking at his kid after lenient punishment after lenient punishment after lenient punishment and then has to look at his child with tears in his eyes and say your mom and i have talked we talked to the pastor. We, we don't know what else to do, but there's a program called um, Teen Challenge International. What, what's that, Daddy? Well, I'm sorry, buddy, but you're going to have to go to Teen Challenge. It's, it's three months. You're going to be without us. You're going to be without your phone. You're going to be without communication for the first month. And then we'll be able to come see you every other weekend. But you're going to work you're going to be taught the scriptures and hopefully your heart will turn. And they begin to, well, I, I promise I want, I know, we, we, I, I know, I know how you feel. We've said this before. We don't know what else to do but to make it hard. Think that when you read Lamentations 2. When you read Lamentations 4, the anger of God, the fierceness of God, what, what are you doing, God? What's going on? And God said, I'm just doing what I said I would do because I am faithful. See, so many times we look at God's faithfulness and we couch it in terms of blessing and what God is going to do for me to make me happy. But God's faithfulness has the other side of the coin and that is if you disobey. There are consequences to follow. Now, lamentations is not a direct application to you and I in the New Testament. Because I've got some really good news for you. The consequences that make up all of sin. So when you consider all of sin in the world of the humanity, in the world of the human race, you put it all together then that represents the totality of human brokenness from which consequences can come. And it is that cup that Jesus took and drank to the last drop. First Corinthians saying, becoming sin and its consequences for you and for me and was taken and bore the wrath of God on himself for you and for me. Jesus took the eternal consequences of sin past and sin present and sin future. Amen? But... Even for those of us who don't have that connected to our account because of faith. Remember, because faith in Him wipes our account clean. It cleanses us from all sin, transgression, iniquity. We're born, we're adopted into the family of God. When by faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we trust Him and Him alone. He's taken our consequences. We're given His righteousness. We're in the family of God. Amen. We're still reminded of these truths. Again, I don't have time to read them, but if you've got the app, you can go read these when you get home today. Verses like James 1, 14 and 15 that reminds us that, that we're drawn into temptation by our own lust. And when we're drawn into that, that temptation, is, it gives birth to sin. And then when sin is full grown, it produces in our life what class? Death. I think about Romans 6:23 that also says, "For the wages of sin is death." Now maybe not physical, certainly not spiritual for those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but it produces the effects of death when we turn our hearts from God to anything that's not Him. Galatians chapter six, verse seven and eight reminds us of the principle of whatever you sow, whatever you plant. That's what you've got to reap. See, Lamentations, the whole book, but specifically chapters 2 and 4, remind us that God is consequentially faithful. Consequences for sin will come in our life. Now, God may show us mercy, but that doesn't mean the consequences aren't around. the And, And not only that, the consequences don't always look like we think they're going to. I love Numbers 32, 23. My mama quoted all the time. She used to say to me, be sure your sin will find you out. Well, she was telling me that because she wanted me to think she would find out. She found out a lot. She didn't find out all of them. She found out a lot of them. But you know what that means, though? You can't escape God's eye because it's watching to and fro. And God's not looking to zap you with road rage, or because he can, let's get him today. No. But that judge who's given mercy and mercy and mercy will at times say, Now, Kevin, I'm going to have to let you feel some consequences of this. Just like my daddy has taken the belt off to me before, but I knew it wasn't what he wanted to do. It was what I needed him to do. Because consequences are also healthy in our life. Consequences provide believers an opportunity to view their lives through the lens of God's perspective. When we go through consequences, it allows us to look around and go, okay, okay, what's going on here? And while not all difficult circumstances are consequences, when they're consequences and you belong to God, the Holy Spirit lets you know, and you know good and well they're consequences. And it allows you, it gives you the opportunity to go, okay, Lord, we need to talk. God-given consequences are designed by our loving Father to draw us back to Himself. When we resist the hand of God's discipline, we become hardened, choosing to live apart from his favor. When we ignore, la, 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 I don't want to hear it, I want to hear I want to go, God will say, okay, but it's not going to get any easier for you. You become hardened, and you choose to walk outside of his blessing, even though things may be going great in your life. When we submit to God's discipline, however, through repentance and confession, we experience His restoration. And when He restores, He restores completely. Now, that doesn't mean the consequences stop. Because that one sentence to 20 years can get full restoration and forgiveness on the very first night in prison and be right before God for the rest of that time. But you know what's got to pass? All in minutes. Because restoration doesn't always mean release from consequences. But when we've been restored by God, even still feeling the sting, not really still able to sit down because of the whooping. When we've been restored by God, we can praise Him for His faithfulness in our life. Even the painful consequences. God is faithful in both directions. But God loves his people all the time. That never stops. Because that's a promise. So let me ask you this. You enduring any consequences right now? Are you feeling something that God's going, hey, listen, does that, does that sting? And you going, yeah, it sting. Well, okay, well, can we get this right? you going to keep being bullheaded and stubborn, rebellious, or are you going to submit yourself to me? Today would be a great day to say, wow, Lord, I, that consequence was tough. I don't want to experience that again from your hand of discipline, but I know this. Hebrews 12 says that you discipline your kids. If you didn't discipline us, you don't love us. But because you love us, you discipline us. And you know that discipline is going to encourage, it's going to restore, and it's going to actually build us up as your children. You going through through circumstances right now? Oh, what about this? Are you living apart from God's standards, expectations of his people? We talked a lot about them in Ephesians. And are you thinking, things are going pretty good for me right now. I guess I can stay on this trajectory. You might ought to hear the warning that they didn't hear. You might ought to see the consequences of folks in the past and go, well, Lord, now I I hear you. You know what? I don't want you to have to whip me. I don't want to have to feel your discipline. Can can I confess this and repent of this right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe you got a friend who's walking in that direction that just needs you to say, hey, brother, sister, that ain't good. Let's get back on the right path. You're not effective. You're not walking in God's will, and I really don't want you to experience this. Constantly. Come on, let, can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? Can we get back on the right path together? Basically, I, I believe y'all know what to do. If you know Jesus as Savior, I believe you know exactly how to take this message and respond. So let's just do that right now, can we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just spend a second with him. What's God saying to you? Having seen the picture of those who experienced great consequences. Because of the faithfulness of God. And what is he saying to you? Got to know him. I know I'm wrong in this. And you call it what it is. I want you to forgive me of this, Lord. I know this was contrary to your activity in my life. And I just need to confess it. I need you to restore me. Forgive me, Lord. Maybe it is with nobody looking... Everybody praying. Maybe it is that you're saying, you're talking about being a follower of Jesus. I don't know that that's me. Listen, you, you don't want to face the judge on the basis of those consequences. Meeting him, having not received the grace that was made available. Today would be a great day to say, Lord, I'm broken completely. I'm a sinner. But I trust Jesus, crucified in my place for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead. God, I I, I, I don't want to be my own anymore. I want to be yours. I want to receive Jesus. I want him to be my Savior, my Lord. I'll give my life to you. I'll well, you, I sure would love to rejoice with you. Sure, would love to talk to you more about that. Talk about how we could walk together and help you understand even more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus by faith alone. I hope you won't leave today before you share with me personally. Hey, Christian, let's walk in. Uh, let's walk in restoration. In the way that God has called us, following Jesus, representing Him. Experiencing difficulties? Absolutely. Some severe? Probably. And even greater as the day comes closer. But let them not be consequences for disobedience. So God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be here together as brothers and sisters. I thank you for those uh, that have with us the first. God, I just ask that uh, you'll help us. Put your word to practice. I pray that you'll encourage your people to go home and read the text that I just made it impossible to to share. I pray that they'll do that. Get the blessing of hearing from you. Father, I pray that you'll use us for your glory. We know that things are are loud in our culture right now. We know that, uh, that news outlets are are against one another and that there are dividing lines and opposing groups. Well God, we just uh, we're your people. We're citizens of heaven anyway. And so God give us the courage, give us the wisdom to be Christians first. Let everything else come through the lens of who we are in you. Let our actions demonstrate that well. May Jesus be pleased and honored. Take us today. Use us for your glory. Use us to build your kingdom. We look forward to the return of your Son, our King, our Savior, our Lord. It's in His name, Jesus, that all voices church said. Amen.